Hi, welcome to Shift. It's PwC Canada's podcast series, and we're digging into key digital trends and topics that can make your business transformation a reality. I'm your host, John Finkelstein, and I'm also the creative director of PwC Canada. All right, welcome to another episode. We're on the road again. For listeners, we are in a large boardroom. There are crystal chandeliers hanging from the ceiling, and we just finished off uh, what was an amazing uh, PwC conference day. I'm with Sean Joyce, who is from PwC in the U.S., and he's head of cybersecurity, and he's a privacy leader. And this is an amazing thing for me because you used to work for the FBI. Sean, thank you so much for being here. And, and we're here primarily to talk about, I think, a topic that's on everybody's mind right now. Uh, it's always been in the news, but I think even more so now, especially with the Facebook security breach, Equifax, all this stuff that's been happening. Um, cybersecurity, cybercrime, all this stuff is on everybody's mind. So really appreciate you being here and, and taking some time to, uh, to talk about it with us. Absolutely. And, and let me just level set because some people listening might be saying, what is an FBI guy doing talking to us about cybersecurity and privacy? So way back when I was a computer science undergrad major, uh, and then I was a programmer uh, analyst for Raytheon Data Systems. Then I was a IT consulting for Arthur Anderson. And then I went back to business school uh, and uh, took a right turn in the FBI for a, a little bit of time. But one of the last things I did with uh, Bob Mueller, continued with Jim Comey, was a, an initiative called Next Generation Cyber. Uh, but which was really positioning that organization to be the leader in the world in law enforcement and domestic intelligence when it came to cyber. So I kind of went back to my roots, and uh, my four years with PwC has been uh, extremely uh, rewarding, and I've worked with a lot of companies, and it's truly been fascinating in this field. So uh, before we dive into some of the hot topics, what kind of stuff are you seeing? What kind of stuff are you advising on? So a lot of it is I do a lot of uh, work with boards, uh, so helping them understand cyber risk, how that fits in with the overall business strategy and uh, risk appetite of the organization. Most of the companies I deal with now uh, at the C-suite and board level are talking about digital transformation. So my question to them is, how is digital security part of your digital transformation? When you ask that question of of some of um, the boards or C-level, had that occurred to them before? And I'm wondering whether or not that's like on top of their mind to think of, if I do a digital transformation, I in, in tandem I need to be thinking cybersecurity. I don't think uh, that is the first thing that comes to mind. Uh, I, I just think people tend to get busy with what is going to be the next uh, revenue generation vehicle. Mm -hmm. But looking at how this security part of the transformation can actually be brand defining. When you actually have the discussion, though, I think there is, uh, you know, a light bulb moment where, you know, it is beneficial to the company as a whole. And as they try to make that experience with the customer seamless, it's something that I think you want to ensure that you do right. You know, one of the things that our listeners are probably wondering, and I, cer- I certainly know that I am, are when we talk about, uh, um, you know, privacy and security, um, what are some of the vulnerabilities that, you know, companies are facing today? Um, about privacy and cybersecurity, what should they be looking at? What should they be thinking about? So, so when I look at uh, vulnerabilities, I really characterize it into two distinct areas. One is the human element, and the other is hygiene. 
So in the human element, I'm really looking at, you know, phishing, spear phishing, those type of emails that you get where it's, you know, you click on the attachment, you're not really looking at the URL of where it came from and maybe a, a, a very small, like instead of .com, it's .net or mm-hmm. something like that, uh, which many of us are victim of and it happens uh, each and every day. And, and I think we get better at that type of issue with training and awareness. Uh, I think a lot of chief information security officers out there actually have uh, incredibly good training programs where they do these phishing exercises, some on a monthly basis, some on a quarterly, uh, that really keeps their employees uh, aware of the threat out there from phishing and spare phishing. When you look at the, um, the hygiene element, it is not easy when you have uh, several hundred or several thousand applications and you're trying to keep them all up to date at the current mm. uh, software revision that they should be at. It's a lot easier said than done. It comes down to humans and then hygiene. You know, you talked about phishing and that kind of stuff, but I mean, are those the most common forms of, of cyber attacks? It, it's really, I would say, phishing, malware. I mean, really, the when you're looking at the common SQL injection and some of the other, uh, I think, common forms of malware that you've seen out there, I think people don't realize how, I mean, the malware can be very sophisticated, but the mode of entry is typically, I forget what the percentage is, but it's very high through an attachment that you click on. I would just say the most common vector is really through phishing and social engineering is how most hackers get in. Hey, I'm curious. So hackers go through, someone opens up an attachment, malware happens. What's the end game? What are they looking to do? What do they want? It depends. Uh, There will be, so when I look at the five threat vectors, which I would break down for you are nation states, terrorists, organized crime and criminals, hacktivists and insiders. So typically the motivation for the nation states out there is to really gather intelligence. Mm -hmm. And what we're seeing is a lot of nation states that I think did not have the traditional intelligence collection capability, whether that's through um, satellites, human beings, and other types of things, that this thing called cyber is really giving them a level playing field. Mm -hmm. So you see the likes of Iran and North Korea, Vietnam and many countries that are actually utilizing this as an intelligence platform. So we talked about the nation states a little bit. Let's um, terrorists. I really think their ability is increasing. Terrorism is really proliferated around the world, unfortunately. Um, but let's. Uh, I think to most of our listeners, that's not probably a threat vector that we need to talk about. And they're really looking at. I think focusing on government targets mainly, but uh, as they mature, I think they'll be looking at economic targets. Um, When you look to the the next group, though, when I talk about organized crime and criminals, I think there is a uh, lack of understanding out there that there aren't these thousands and thousands of hackers spread throughout the world that are geniuses that do this each and every day. There are certainly hackers all around the world, Mm -hmm. um, but the best hackers in the world are really focused in the Ukraine, Romania, and Russia, and they really leverage the tool sets that they develop and sell them. Then when you look at the the hacktivists, uh, I think that's an overlooked uh, threat vector. A lot of times companies will have board members that may be involved in some Uh, organizations, foundations that, uh, whether it could be bio, farm, 
life science type causes, companies, issues in other areas where uh, they, they come under attack in the company by default. When you look at the last one and we're talking about insiders, I think that is a frequently overlooked mm. uh, threat vector. 30 plus percent of breaches are the re- result of insiders. Um, and so I think it really behooves most companies to make sure that they have an inside a threat program and understand the vulnerabilities that that presents. And I, I will define for this conversation, a, an insider is anyone with authorized access. So that could be consultants, that could be employees, that could be some third party vendors, uh, whatever. But it's just, uh, I think that's a threat factor that's overlooked. 30% is insider? That's right. And so if someone was to do that, are they allowing uh, people from outside or are they sharing secrets or data or files? So, so a lot of times it's authorized access, which means during the course of your normal duties, you have access to this. Uh, a lot of, as we know, right, when you look at a company's ecosystem, and I describe ecosystem as our con- connectivity to other business partners that we need to have to do business. So a third party is gonna have connectivity to say PwC because they need certain information. Yeah. But then there's also the malicious insider yeah. Right. That employee that's purposely stealing information, intellectual property, those type of uh, issue things um, that can do great damage to a company. So out of that 30 percent, just for my own edification, it's not all malicious. Sometimes it's just unwitting, unknown. I wouldn't say that I would characterize most of it as um, not malicious. Okay. I think most of it, prob- most of the insider is, but there are some insider uh, issues that come up that are not malicious, right. right? But I think most of it is probably there's a lot of um, disgruntled employees. That's why with a successful inside a program, there are a lot of stakeholders within the organization and that come together, right? If you typically come to work nine to five, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden you start working noon to midnight, is that a red flag that we should be concerned about, or are you just working on a special project? Right. So there's a lot of different uh, indicators that I think companies should be looking at that's going to keep them safer. Do you think that companies are taking these threats seriously? I think they do take it seriously. So I think most CEOs uh, certainly list cyber risk as one of the top risks in the U.S. It is the top risk Mm -hmm. in Canada. I think it's one of the top three, if I remember my stats correctly. So I don't think there's a question of taking it seriously. The question is, do they truly understand the investment and steps necessary? I love this quote. I don't know who said it. It may have been an ad. Difficult is worth doing. No, it's, it's, a, it's a great quote, and it's something where this is a, this is a journey and an investment, mm-hmm. and I think companies need to understand that. But it's a defining moment. I think the ones that are actually willing to take that leap of faith, those are going to be the winners of the world. You know, we were talking about a strategy. But when we talked about strategy, it was about what's your three to five year strategy. Mm-hmm. I was like, throw that out the window. The world that we're living in right now is about an agile strategy. Yeah. And how do you have the agility and nimbleness as an organization to be flexible and adjust to market trends? I'm actually looking at my strategy every six months. That's how quick I think the market is changing. That doesn't mean I don't have some foundational elements to my strategy, especially on the people side. Um, but I'm talking about when you're looking at market trends and what, what the 
customer wants and what consumers are looking for, that's changing very quickly. And you need to be, you know, have that agility that I think I'm talking about. I think that's a key for people who are listening, making sure your strategy is agile, because you're right. Three to five years, meh, that's not going to work, you know, at all, at all. At all, at all. At all, at all. (laughs) So what do you think the top three things companies should be doing um, to prepare themselves for today's sort of, I mean, connected world, yeah, in inverted quotations, but I think it's even beyond that. Without question, a third-party annual cybersecurity assessment. Bring someone in, they're doing a top-to-bottom assessment. I'm not talking about a interview document-based cybersecurity assessment. I'm actually one that you're actually looking at the controls. Are they functioning? Are they functioning effectively? Are they being followed? Are there business processes? Is there a feedback loop? Then from a threat and vulnerability management, are you doing the pen testing? Looking at whether you have uh, addressed the vulnerabilities, whether you have a third party that's actually looking at that and saying, hey, if looking at it from the attacker's perspective and spending some time, if I'm gonna look at this company, what am I gonna target? How am I gonna target that and actually uh, doing that? The third thing is actually practicing. Hmm. So when we talk about having an incident response plan slash crisis management plan, uh, and this goes not just cybersecurity, but I would say just basic business continuity, yeah. right? You have to make sure that you have a plan and you practice it. Every breach that I've been to, even the companies that have practiced a lot, it's never like that. Right. Right. So the, at a minimum, you want to make sure that you have, you know, a crisis management team set up. Hey, I'm curious. Uh, we hear about some of these breaches, but I got to think that there's way more going on there than we ever hear about. There are a lot of things that are never disclosed. Um, And not that all things have to be disclosed, I'm not saying that, but I do think there are some areas where it would be helpful to consumers at large to understand if the company is not practicing good hygiene and they don't have resiliency. What kind of innovations are there for companies who want to up their sort of cybersecurity game? I think it's really, it's just a race. Unfortunately, I feel like the hackers always have a leg up because they're looking one step ahead of us and they're also willing to make mistakes and fail. Uh, And they're very technology inquisitive and want to find a, a lot of these things. A lot of organizations are typically late adopters of technology. Yep. Um, So we see a lot of that. It is truly like a revolution in technology. Um, And I tell my kids that all the time. um, And they just kind of look at me funny and say, yeah, right, Dad. Um, But it really is. And these changes we're going to continue to see. And it comes to that adoption and agility and kind of following on. I hope that people don't think that because there's, you know, with the uptake and the innovations in technology and how fast it's going, and then them on the other side worrying about, the sort of potential threat of Internet of Things, of all these different devices and technologies, to give them a reason not to move forward and to digitize and to be thinking about that. Because it's very easy to go, well, you know what, I'm worried about that, we're just going to stick to the old thing. It's safe. I don't think companies have that option because I think consumers expect it. Yeah. So if you look at, uh, you know, how many people can exist without their uh, iPhone, right, or Android? Not many. No. What advice do you have for listeners when they're thinking about balancing uh, innovation and risk? To make sure that that team 
is a complete team. Okay. And so what I mean by that is, are the cybersecurity professionals part of that team? Mm -hmm. Are the risk professionals part of that team? And I really think this is where you get into um, in that fast-paced environment. I think to be successful, you have to be a leader in innovation. That makes perfect sense to me. To solve a problem, you have to make sure you have the right team at the right time throughout the process. It makes sense. And I think a lot of people kind of forget. It's like, well, we're going to do this thing. I describe it as uh, you don't want to do the relay race anymore, right? Where I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to hand you the baton. Now you do your thing. We need to do it together. No, that's a great point, John. Together, that team is more powerful uh, and I think brings greater creativity to what the enterprise is trying to make happen. Sean, thanks so much uh, for spending more time hearing yourself talk. I know, I know, <laughs> I know you said you're sick of it. No, 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 no. I, and I can see why you're in demand because this is fascinating stuff. No, this, I, I really, uh, I thank the listeners out there. Um, and really, I thank the folks uh, here today. So thank you, John, for having me. Um, the folks in Canada have been terrific. They're so kind and, uh, and professional. And it's really been a pleasure being here. Thank you. And if there is a executable attachment at the end of this podcast, please do not please click, click on it. On. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Shift. You can get more details at pwc.com slash CA slash shift. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, subscribe to our podcast series. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, or your preferred podcast platform. Just so you know, this podcast has been prepared by PricewaterhouseCoopers LLP, an Ontario limited liability partnership for general guidance on matters of interest only and does not constitute professional advice. Until next time.